we should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Today on the Babylon Singularity Podcast, we're going to talk about global agreement on artificial intelligence. We're going to have a little tech savior update for you, and uh, we're going to dig deep into a Joe Rogan, Tristan Harris interview that was conducted last week. So stay tuned. Inspiring faith in Christ and anchoring hope in the age to come. This is the Babylon Singularity Podcast with Peter Hurden. Welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I am your host, Peter Herder. Today, have an update in the world of artificial intelligence. Also have a tech savior update for you as well. And uh, we're going to dive deep into the recent Joe Rogan interview with Tristan Harris. We'll get into that. And then finally, and most importantly, we're going to get into the Bible. We're going to open our Bibles up to 1 Samuel chapter 8, where Israel demands a king. It's an interesting scenario. God is the king and leader of Israel. Israel runs into some issues with some with their leadership, and they decide that they do not want God to be their leader. They want a king to be just like the other nations. We're going to get into that, the result of what happens when humans refuse the leadership of God in favor of something else. So we'll, we'll dig into first Samuel chapter eight. Before we do all of that, we're going to get into our AI update. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Time for the artificial intelligence news update. The story coming out of news.un.org. 193 countries adopt first ever global agreement on the ethics of artificial intelligence. I'm going right to the horse's mouth on this one. I'm going to the un.org website to report this exciting news. What, what's going on at the United Nations, you're asking? Well, quote from this article, the world needs rules for artificial intelligence. Why do we need rules? Well, we need those rules to benefit humanity. Right? We're all about humanity benefiting humanity. How best do we do that? Well, we need to understand how we are going to develop artificial intelligence. Now, this might be a new idea. This might be a, a novel concept for you, but this is, this is something I've been talking about for a while. The world will get on the same page in regards to artificial intelligence. This is a group project. This isn't going to be one nation here or one nation there. This is going to be the entire world coming together and deciding humanity's future 
in terms of how artificial intelligence is developed. And this article says the first global agreement has now been signed. So this is a, this is a real milestone because this is not the last global agreement that will be signed in regards to artificial intelligence. This is the first. So we're starting in the baby pool. It's not a big, it's not that what they signed. It wasn't like they came together and said, you know what, we're, we're ready to sign. You know, we're all going to create a God that's going to rule over us. And we want the God to be like this. They're not at that level yet. So we're, we're at step one. I don't know how many steps there are between the step that they just signed and the final step of literally, this is the God that we want to rule over us, right? There, there's going to be, there's going to be a number of steps in between, but this first step has now been taken. So you can go, go to news.un.org, look up this article. It was actually all, it was in, uh, found in a couple of different places. So the recommendation on the ethics of AI is a major answer. It sets the first global normative framework while giving states the responsibility to apply it at their level. So this is a framework. They've, uh, they've agreed to the framework. What's in the framework that people, that uh, the world is is agreeing to. Quoting from the article, the text aims to highlight the advantages of AI while reducing the risk it also entails. It provides a guide to ensure that digital transformations promote human rights and contribute to the achievement of the sustainable development goals. Addressing issues around transparency, accountability, privacy. So it's a very generic, vanilla, we want artificial intelligence to be good not evil right so all of the world has agreed <laughs> we want we want the good artificial intelligence which where do you start like where where does this conversation start where does the global agreement start it starts here that we decide we don't want to make the world a worse place we want to make the world a better place now of course what does it mean to make the world a better place well of course, that depends on who you are, what your perspective is. Some folks would say, you know, uh, a world without religion would make the world a better place. Some people would say a world totally under the control of Sharia law, Islamic law, would make the world a better place. So the question becomes, yeah, we all agree that the world's going to be a better place and we're going to we're going to use artificial intelligence to make the world a better place. Yay, hooray for us. What an amazing achievement by the United Nations to agree that we want good AI, not bad AI. But it's also a funny question when you think of it in terms of relativity. If good and bad good and evil are relative terms and it depends not on some greater authority like the word of God, like the Bible, like God's commandments. If it doesn't rely on any of that and instead it's just some human construct built from our own dark understanding, then good AI and a good future can look very different depending on who you ask. But at least we all agree that we want the world to be a quote-unquote better place. Of course, working those details out, that'll come later. But for now, step one, we want good artificial intelligence has been completed. So fantastic for that. Give, uh, give the UN a big round of applause on that. Fantastic work. Well done.
everybody's super excited about that. So next we got our tech savior update. I'm not trying to be anyone's savior. Tech Messiah breaking news. I'm not trying to be anyone's savior. Doug, this little gem up from the Washington Post. You can find this at the Washington Post. Memes, merchandise, and Mars cocktails. Russia's mania for Elon Musk has no bounds. So this is just a fun article about how excited uh, the Russian people are for Elon Musk. Um, and so basically, I don't even really necessarily want to read <laughs> this article because it's it's just... Uh, it's just a, like a gravy train of, of weirdness, Elon Musk weirdness. Uh, here's one. He's been an inspiration to me since I was a child. To me, he's a person who sets impossible goals and achieves them. About So the Elon Musk mania, the tech messiah momentum is growing in the nations. This isn't just a U.S. phenomenon. This is... This is around the world. You know, this is, you can find this in Russia, China. You can find Elon Musk mania growing worldwide. It's happening here. A lot of folks, you know, don't even realize it's happening. They're just falling in love more and more. You know, and I think a lot of it's connected to their investments and they have their invest, investments with Elon Musk. He's making them a lot of money. Who doesn't like a guy who makes you a lot of money, right? So there's a connection between the amount of wealth you're gaining from Elon Musk and for the admiration and, and his vision of the future of you know, living on Mars, merging with artificial intelligence, that's uh, very seductive to a lot of folks. They look at this guy and, and they just think like, wow, he is really the, the picture of everything we want humanity to be. It's happening in Russia, happening in China, happening in the United States. It's happening east and west. And really, he's not even, you can't even really peg this guy on the political spectrum because a lot of times he, 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 he comes hard right on, on some things and a lot of other things, he comes hard, hard left. Right? A lot of folks like, you know, look at what he's saying about censorship and about freedom and go, wow, he's, he's our guy on the, on the right. We think of him as a conservative. It's conservative, financially conservative but socially, he's very left, very left. He's all about you know transgender rights and 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 uh, so he is he's walking both sides, financially very conservative, socially very liberal, and he's snatching up folks on both sides of the aisle. Um, so really, he just wanted to touch on Elon Musk, his growing fame in the the nation. Of course, he's postured as some sort of a savior, tech savior type who has the solution for humanity um, to survive in the future. You know, we, he wants to make uh, humanity a multi-planetary species. He wants humanity to merge with artificial intelligence. Um, and so it's a very interesting scenario where a guy is rising up with unprecedented wealth and influence and he's pointing people away from the creator and pointing people to these other things to be saved but he is pointing a humanity away from the creator saying hey we can be saved if we land on mars we can be saved if we merge with artificial intelligence biblically that's troubling if you read the bible 
and you understand that people that point humanity away from the creator to be saved by some other means, that is biblically troubling. But of course, Elon Musk is making lots of people lots of money. So we just want to forget about that. Like, oh yeah, he's pointing humanity away from the creator to be merged with artificial intelligence to, uh, to live on Mars, to be saved. Like that's how we're saved. Biblically, anyone that points people away from the creator to be saved by some other means is a false prophet. Whether it's Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, whether it's you name them, any of the tech savers, line them up. If these guys are pointing away from the creator and pointing to some other source of salvation, that makes them a false prophet in the eyes of the Bible. So just throwing that out there. Um, finally, switching gears, I wanted to touch on this latest interview that Joe Rogan, he's a, he's a famous podcaster, right? He's probably got the number one podcast in the, in the world. He had Tristan Harris on the show last week to talk about social media, to talk about technology, to talk about the future of humanity. It was a very interesting interview. I encourage you to go check it out. Now, if you listen to, if you ever listen to a Joe Rogan podcast, be warned, he uses the F word like, like water. I mean, it's just, it just flows from him. So it, so I don't want to encourage people to go listen to Joe Rogan without that disclaimer that you're going to hear the F word in the next, you know, the next hour, probably more than you've heard, maybe some for some folks in their entire lives. So, it's not, it's not the most edifying conversation you're ever going to hear, but it's important because these guys are the ones who are on the edge having a conversation about technology's influence on society. So they're having that conversation, and then they're also coming up with solutions in regards to technology's influence on society. And unfortunately, most folks in the church have no idea that this conversation is even happening. At the moment, totally quiet. We're, we are we are like experiencing it in real time. Have no idea that this conversation is happening, and really have no thoughts about where is it going. What does the Bible have to say about it? What is our the posture that we need to take? How do we make sure that we're not being played like punks? That we're not becoming an extension of artificial intelligence, an extension of algorithms that are designed to manipulate us, but instead are using these algorithms, these tools to declare the gospel of Jesus. We're using these tools as an extension of God's kingdom, that we are kingdom programmers using the tools available to do our Father's business. Because if we're not thinking in a very... Um, war-like way. If we're not thinking that we're in a battle, that this is a war that's going on, that these conversations are happening, and these technologies are coming at us in faster, more manipulative, more powerful ways, we are going to be adrift. We are going to be deeply manipulated. Because these things aren't just a function of, oh, look at this picture. Oh, I like that picture. Oh, yay. I'm so happy that people like me. You know, it goes, it goes much deeper than the, 
you know, feed a rat in a cage with likes. There's a, well, let's get into some of the, the statements that were made. So Tristan Harris is famous for his work on a documentary called The Social Dilemma. It came out on Netflix, I think, last year. And a bunch of people saw it. It was like the number one you know, show on Netflix for a while. So that was the, the interview. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on a couple of those uh, here. Let's start with um, the first clip from the, the episode is, is Tristan Harris talking about the nature of social media and what it's been, what it's designed to do and how it's working out. Here it is. Actually across some of the issues I think we're going to talk about today are ways that there is an asymmetric relationship between what technology knows about us and what we don't know about ourselves. When when you were studying at Stanford, what year was this? This was, um, 2002 to 2006, I was an undergrad, and then 2006 I got involved with uh, Professor B.J. Fogden, uh, who, again, actually studied ways that persuasive technology could be used for positive purpose, like how do you help people be healthier, how do you help people floss, how do you help people work out more often, things like that. It could be used in a positive way. Right. But I got concerned uh, because it was all of this increasing arms race to use persuasive tools to harvest and capture people's attention, now known as the race to the bottom of the brainstem, to go down the brainstem into more social validation, more social narcissism, all of that. And that's one of the arms races we see everywhere, which is like in every single thing. If one oil company doesn't drill for that oil well, the other one will. If one uh, attention company doesn't add the beautification filter, the other one will. Tristan Harris is talking about the nature of social media, the manipulation these corporations, these giant, these tech giant corporations who are wielding this technology understand that these technologies are highly manipulative and they understand that there's a race going on. And the race is the race to the bottom of the brainstem. That's, that's the, the quote unquote, the uh, way Tristan Harris f- paraphrases what's happening. The race to the bottom of the brainstem. Well, what's happening at the b- bottom of the brainstem? Um, the bottom of the brainstem, it's it's the, the most narcissistic, all about me place of your being, right? It's the it's the it's the place that loves me. It's all about me, life's all about me. It's core sin reactor of the human frame. And these tech co- companies know that if they tap into that reactor, that sin reactor deep inside of you, that they can play you like a puppet. They can put things in front of you. You'll buy it. That's the main thing, right? It's the advertising. It's the getting you to buy stuff. But it's a control. It's a, it's a play for your attention. If they can tickle that spot in you, you will give them your attention, your will, play with your mind, recraft you, reprogram you, make you an extension of their will. These tech corporations, and ultimately the Antichrist himself, is racing down, right? They're tapping deeper and deeper and deeper. That's the race to the bottom of the brainstem. That's what they're after. They want to get into your holy of holies. That's what the Antichrist wants, the Holy of Holies. The devil wants to take that very core of your being and change the nature of it, actually break permanently the image of God. 
and install the Antichrist there in that core place. But before that happens, which who, who knows, was that 10, 20 years down the, the, the line? We don't know. We are now engaged in this war, this battle for a race down the bottom of the brainstem. And Tristan Harris is talking about, hey, that's what we're doing. And the, the results of this race down to the bottom of the brainstem is these, are these increasingly chaotic, divisive, and destructive realities we see playing out on the streets. So he, he, he goes into a little bit deeper into the weaponization of social media here. I'm going to play that clip for you. And Russia or China, Facebook is like the best weapon I've ever had against the United States. Yes. Oh my God. You've got an F-35. I don't need F-35. Right. I've got Facebook. I can destroy your entire coherence as a society. And they have. And you won't get anything done. And all of your energy will be spent on waste infighting and heat. We talked about this recently, but there was, I'm sure you saw the story. There was 20, top 20 Christian sites on Facebook. 19 of them were yes. run by a Russian troll farm. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you actually mentioned that. Or excuse me, it was an Eastern European troll farm yeah macedonia i think it was. To totally 140 this is an important stat actually i'm glad you brought it up um a hundred and this is as recent as october 2019 140 million americans per month were reached by essentially troll farms actively um there's three categories of pages in which there so for christian pages the top 15 out of 15 christian pages were all run by troll farms that is shocking that information right there is shocking. Let, now, let me break that down for you. What he's saying is that on Facebook, and I, I, you know, there's different platforms, but he's talking about specifically on Facebook, there are pages people get their information from, what they believe, how they see the world, right? So we, we go online, we go onto Facebook. Facebook tells us what to think about the world. Facebook tells us what to think about our relationships it tells us what to think about what's happening in you know uh in the in the economy it tells us what to think about politics and now it's interesting and hate me love me i don't really care I don't, i'm not here for the hate or the love it doesn't matter i'm here for the truth right i'm i'm here to i'm just i'm watching this thing i'm i just want to follow jesus i want to declare the gospel i want to declare the word of god i don't care if you hate me because of politics, you decide what you want to do with politics. That's that's between you and God and how important politics is to you and how important politicians are to you. That's, that's your decision. It's interesting that so many Christians were so fired up about Donald Trump, which love him, hate him, I don't care. It's, it's up to you. Like he's a hero to some, he's a, he's, a, he's a disaster to others, whatever. That's a side issue. Put that aside just for a second. Here, I'm, the fact is a lot of Christians were very fired up, very fired up for Donald Trump, thought he was God's guy, whatever, just super fired up for him. Interesting. A lot of them ended up on, you know, the Capitol January 6th for the, the fiasco that went on there. And that was an absolute fiasco. Whoever fell, like people who fell for that going in and doing all the stuff that they did, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. The whole thing was embarrassing. But the reality is, why did they end up there on January 6th? Why were they outside? Because of the stuff they were seeing on the internet. Because of the stuff they were reading on Facebook. Right? They, they look at the internet. The face, uh, Facebook is telling them what to think about news events, what to think about politics, what to think about what's happening with the election. They're getting it from Facebook. 
Some people are getting it from YouTube. Some people are getting it from all over the place. They get very fired up for Donald Trump. They end up on the grounds of the Capitol, the U.S. Capitol, and they eventually, some, not all, break into the Capitol. That's shocking. It's shocking that it happened, but then you, you think about, well, why did it happen? It happened because they got fired up reading stuff on Facebook. Okay, great, fine. Well, what was that stuff they were reading on Facebook? Tristan Harris just said the top 15 Christian places where the people were getting their information on the election, their information on Donald Trump, was a troll farm from Macedonia which is basically Russia, a troll farm. What's a troll farm? A troll farm is basically a Russian operation. Like they're saying, we don't need weapons. We have Facebook. Because if I can just go in and type some stuff on Facebook and get a bunch of people to believe it and show up at your capital and try to tear it down. I mean, they didn't try to tear it down. I, won't, I don't want to go too far on that. They're sowing division. The devil is rewarding bad behavior that's resulting in very destructive behavior. We're seeing this play out. We're seeing, and don't don't tell me just because you're a Christian that it's not affecting you. A lot of the stuff that you're fired, I mean, if you're not fired up about Jesus and you're fired about up about some other thing, whether politics, whatever it is, look very hard at the source of your information because you might just be getting played by social media and it might be an operation to sow incredible division in this country. That's not pretend. That's real. So social, social media can be weaponized. We've seen it weaponized. So I'm going to get to this final comment that Tristan Harris makes here on um, on what he says we're, you know, there's a ditch on both sides. He, he uses a bowling analogy. And this is, this is the main thing I wanted to get to because the result of what we're seeing on social media is the conclusion that we cannot manage ourselves. We can't find a way to wield these incredibly powerful technological tools in a healthy way without destroying others, destroying ourselves. So what is the answer? And this is, this is the key um, conversation that's being had in culture right now. And I don't see or hear any Christians even contemplating what's happening. We are listening, not participating and that needs to change. So listen to the clip here. On the on the bowling alley, we've got um, the bowling alley. One gutter is like, let's lock it down with surveillance. Let's lock it down with Mark Zuckerberg controls everything. Let's lock it down with the government tells us what we can and can't do on computers. And the other gutter, which is the decentralized power for everyone, which without people having the wisdom to wield that godlike power or right. like 
not at least not evidence in in people's own usage of it right now. Also, we've incentivized people to do destructive things also, we've just for likes, right? So, yeah. in, in certain places, there is an incentive to for those things to happen. It's not just by accident; it's like by design and incentivized. Yeah. Wait, but the, what you just said is super important. It's a population that is getting continuously more radicalized on all sides that simultaneously has continuously more powerful tools available to them in a world that's increasingly fragile. And so if you have an increasingly fragile world, meaning more interconnected global supply chains that have where a, a collapse somewhere leads to collapse everywhere, more sensitive infrastructure, you know, things like that. If you have an increasingly fragile world, you have more and more radicalized people and you have those radicalized people having access to more and more powerful tech. That's a just fragility across lots of different dynamics. So that's the that's the picture that's going on right now, right? There's there's a he uses the analogy of a bowling alley. There's a there's a gutter on both sides. On one side is Orwell, right? 1984 top-down authoritarian power that locks everything down. And then on the other side, you have Huxley's Brave New World, where it's decentralized and people are just going berserk with the memes and people are flooding out onto the streets, killing each other because of stuff that's happening online. There's just no regulation. There's no restrictions. There's there's just It's just a free-for-all and violence and destruction is breaking out. So those are the that's that's the dichotomy that's being portrayed here. And um, one of the guys, his name is uh, Daniel something or another, was making the point of, hey, we need to understand that there's we're living in an increasingly fragile world with supply chains, the way everything's all tied together. It's very easy to disrupt the world as it stands today, and we are experiencing an increasingly radicalized society polarized on the right and on the left with increasingly powerful technological tools that magnifies what we say, how we say it, who hears it, how the, the, the spinning ball of, of hate and dissension can spin very quickly out of control. And they're saying, what is the solution? We don't want a Chinese-style 1984 Orwellian authority power that locks us all down. But the other gutter is the the American-style Huxley Brave New World where things are just perpetually spinning out of control. So do you, do you understand what's happening? It's it's key that you understand the conversation that's happening in the world. You, it's happening right now. This isn't a conversation that happened 10 years ago. This isn't something that, you know, oh, we can kind of sit this one out. These are the conversations. These are the concepts that we need to get comfortable understanding. These are the conversations we need to be equipped to have because we need to have a biblically informed perspective that will help guide us in the right direction. Because at the end of the day, what we're talking about is humanity saying, we can't govern ourselves, but we don't want 1984. We can't, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a massive, um, 
confession, this, the nature of this confession of saying we cannot govern ourselves online, we cannot but help to hate each other and want to destroy each other, and that hate will pour out into the streets until we're actually shooting each other. We can't govern ourselves. It's 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 amazing that we actually have to 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 come to that conclusion because we've lived in an American tradition that it was all about self-governance. It was about the individual governing himself, governing his family, governing his business and saying, uh, telling the government to stay out, you know, I'll pay my taxes, but stay out of my life because I will govern myself. And the American experiment was a bunch of individuals who could govern themselves we're a republic, a republic of laws, but our republic is only as strong as the individuals that make it up. Now, initially, the individuals were incredibly strong. For hundreds of years, we had the upright, righteous, moral understanding of what it took to govern ourselves. I think Ben Franklin I can't remember which one of the founding fathers basically said, hey, we're giving you a, a, a democratic republic. Now just see if you can keep it. Right? That was like, it's, it's yours. We're giving it to you as a gift. Now keep it. Because it's not something that you can just watch and, and hope it works out. You have to actively govern yourself. You have to have the moral fortitude to say, I can govern myself. I can actually not hate and want to destroy my neighbor. I can actually love and serve with a Christian moral ethic. I can govern myself. Well, over the last few decades, we've watched that Christian moral ethic disappear to nothing. And what's taken its place? Technology, the digital age, the internet, social media. The Christian ethic we're living largely in a post-Christian world. So that ethic that actually allows the individual to govern him or herself is gone. And now we're online without a Christian ethic, but we do have this American tradition of governing ourselves. And we're coming to this conclusion that, lo and behold, we can't govern ourselves. This thing is not working. We're, it's spilling out in the street. We're shooting each other. We hate each other's guts. It's being weaponized. Technological tools are increasing in their power, their scope, how they magnify things. We cannot wield these tools. We need a solution. We need an external force that comes in and governs us. Because like you heard Tristan Harris say there, we're, with the bowling alley analogy, on one side is total authoritarianism, and the other side is total freedom. We can't do the total freedom. He's basically saying we can't handle the freedom. It's obvious. We need, we need an external force that's going to help us move into a future where we're not hating and killing each other into a future where we're not controlled by Mark Zuckerberg.
So what is that third option? Now, of course, that third option is going to sound amazing, right? Oh, wow. When you build a false dichotomy, because the true answer to this problem is human beings governing themselves. The answer to this, the answer to 1984, like Alex Jones would say, is 1774. No, it's not. 1776. <laughs> they were probably drawing it up in you know 1774, but 1776, the uh, the Constitution of the United States that we as individuals must govern ourselves. We must find a way to govern ourselves. We must have a Christian ethic that allows us to not hate and destroy our neighbors, that serves and loves others and seeks the good of others. But if that Christian ethic is lost and we trade it instead for the great love of ourselves, like Paul said in the end times, we will be lovers of ourselves. Men will be lovers of themselves. They'll make themselves the main thing, which is exactly what the race to the bottom of the brainstem is. The race to the bottom of the brainstem is the love of self. So if we trade the Christian ethic for the race to the bottom of the brainstem, of course we can't govern ourselves. Of course we need a solution because we're going to kill people who aren't us. Why? Because when you love yourself so much, anyone who gets in the way of the love of yourself is an enemy. If you see someone as a, as a threat to what you want, that person is an enemy. The Christian ethic has it just the very opposite. So if that Christian, Christian ethic is removed and instead it is replaced with a great love of ourself, this great narcissism that social media has tapped in and drills deeper and deeper each day and the violence spills out onto the streets more and more, each day, of course we need a solution. The question is, if we're not going to govern ourselves, what's going to govern us? And we don't want Orwell's 1984. Well, I believe we are on track. No, so so just you can just go ahead and give me the Nobel Peace Prize right now because I'll just tell you what the solution is before it happens. Because we're scratching our heads, what's the solution? We've got the we've got a gutter on both sides. We've got 1984 on one side of the, the, the road. We've got Brave New World on the other side. What's the solution? The solution is now wait for it. You should have, you know, there should be some feeling of anticipation before I announce my Nobel Peace Prize winning idea. Because I'm just giving it to you now. Joe Rogan, I'm giving it to you now, Tristan Harris. I'm kind of borrowing it from Elon Musk, so I don't want to, you know, I, I got I to give props to Elon on this one. It's democratized super intelligence. It's a super intelligent AI that does what we tell it to do. And we're wired into it. Because if we can create an artificial intelligence that executes what we want, then we have it all. We have the control that we want on both ends. We control the AI, and the AI controls the, the results that we want. It's democratized superintelligence where the will of human beings intersects with the, it, the will of artificial intelligence. 
You're welcome. You're welcome. I, I feel like I need, I feel like I need some. You're welcome. The world. I didn't, like I said, I want to thank Elon Musk for that idea because, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't come up with that one all my own. And, uh, you know, more importantly, I want to thank Revelation chapter 13 for really giving me the nuts and bolts of that solution. So I'll, I'll, I'll say thank you, God, for Revelation 13. Thank you, Elon Musk, for giving, articulating what Revelation 13 actually means. So appreciate, appreciate the contribution there. And that actually leads me into a nice segue of the new eschatological paradigm. I know it sounds crazy. Like, what are you talking about? Eschatology, paradigm. You see, people who have studied Bible prophecy have understood it in a certain way for a long time. They have seen the beast as a man, as the Antichrist, and then the false prophet as his sidekick, a religious leader that um, fools the world and brings the world under the power of the Antichrist, right? So that's the conventional paradigm. The beast is the Antichrist. The false prophet is a religious leader that fools everybody into believing the Antichrist. Well, I am pushing, I am the, a purveyor of what I call the new paradigm, the new perspective, the new eschatological understanding of Bible prophecy. So listen to this. I built this next segment to explain what the new paradigm is. So take a listen. What is eschatology? Eschatology is the study of Bible prophecy. The future of humanity has been foretold in the pages of Scripture. In his word, God details the events that will surround the return of Jesus Christ. When we study these last things, we are studying eschatology. What is the new perspective on eschatology? The new perspective on eschatology is a departure from the traditional understanding of the Revelation 13 beast. Traditionally, the beast has been understood to be the Antichrist, a Hitler-like character. And the beast is accompanied by the false prophet, who traditionally has been understood to be a Pope-like character. The new perspective on eschatology says that the beast is not a man. The beast is not the Antichrist. The beast is a network of human and non-human intelligence. It's what a futurist would call democratized superintelligence. So you are saying the Antichrist is a robot? No, the Antichrist is not a robot. The Antichrist is the man of sin. He is the false prophet of Revelation chapter 13, the deep fake Messiah that leads the world astray and betrays fallen humanity. Why does it matter? We are commanded by scripture to watch, to stay sober and discern the signs of the times. If we do not properly understand prophetic scripture, we will be looking for the wrong things. There's danger for confusion and fear. 
But if we understand rightly what God has said in his word, we will be anchored and grounded. We will stay steady in the days ahead. How can I learn more? To learn more about the new perspective on eschatology, to understand how you can partner with us and join us, please visit BabylonSingularity.com. Well, there it is, the new paradigm in a nutshell. So if you were to read through the Left Behind series, a lot of people have, a lot of people understand Bible prophecy in light of what they've read in the Left Behind series, you would come away with this understanding of Nikolai Carpathia, who's this Antichrist guy, and then he's got a sidekick, religious leader, who comes alongside and deceives the world and, and tells the world to follow the Antichrist. And if we're looking for that scenario to play out, we're going we're gonna to be looking for a long time because that's not the scenario that's going to play out. The scenario that will play out is that there will be 10 kings, 10 human leaders that will form a panel and that panel will be linked together, will be networked together and built into a machine intelligence, artificial intelligence. And this artificial intelligence will function as the executive branch of a world government. It will carry out the will and the order the desire of the Senate and the people of Earth's final empire. It'll be artificial intelligence, but not just AI by itself, but democratized artificial intelligence. The Bible is very clear. Human beings will be networked in to the beast. And then, What's what's the the function of the false prophet is a false messenger who deceives the nations and betrays them into the hands of the beast. And how does he do that? He does it through a mark. He does it through a mark. He marks the people in their right hand or their forehead and tethers them together with the beast. That's Revelation chapter 13. That's the new perspective. Now, I know a lot of people think, yeah, you're crazy, man. This, you know, the Antichrist is, you know, 17 dudes. <laughs> I say 17 dudes because you got you got seven heads of the beast, then you got 10 kings, and then you got the little horns. So if you add it all up, it just there's just a lot of people involved with the beast. But if you understand it as democratized superintelligence and you understand the false prophet as the Antichrist, the equation works. So I'm out here trying to do, I'm doing my best to go, hey guys, let's let's take a good hard look at what the Bible actually says so we can understand what's happening in light of the Bible, not in light of Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins' best shot at it. So Because God bless them, I thank God for them, but boy, if they, if they miss something there, a lot of people are right along with them. A lot of folks have bought, bought the whole narrative hook, line, and sinker. 
But enough about that. Open up your Bible. Where this is the this is the time of the show where we go into God's Word and hear what God has to say about these events that that are unfolding right before our eyes. What is happening? So we've seen, you know, we talked about um, the U- United Nations coming together in agreement of, of the first global agreement. One hundred ninety three nations signed on. That they all agreed. Well, they didn't agree on anything that profound. They just agreed on, hey, we want good AI that is actually beneficial and not harmful. That's step one. We took a look at Elon Musk and his growing population popularity in the nations, right? Russians are crazy for Musk. Well, we'll see this craziness, this mania only grow if if he ends up being you know, the false prophet. Of course, there's a few other guys out there. You know, they're not, you know, Russians aren't crazy about Jeff Bezos. Russians aren't crazy about Mark Zuckerberg. You know, there's there's lots of tech, the, you know, um, Larry Page and um, Eric Schmidt. They don't, they don't like those guys. Those guys are weird. But man, Elon Musk, that's a totally different conversation, right? Why? Why is Elon Musk so cool and all these other guys so weird? Because they all are kind of in that same category of ridiculous tech billionaire with massive influence but some for some reason elon musk and just you know coincidentally elon musk is also the guy who wants to drill a hole in your forehead and subjugate you to super intelligent ai that you know coincidentally he's that same guy so we're just watching how this thing shapes up. If Elon Musk backs off of Neuralink, if he decides like, ah, you know what? I've, I've changed my mind about Neuralink. I'm not going to do it. Then I'll be the first guy to say Elon Musk is not the false prophet. He's not going to be the guy who's marking everybody in their forehead. But if he pr- continues to pursue what he's pursuing and he continues to do it at the clip that he's doing it and the mania grows in the nation all over the world, then we need to be paying particular attention to Elon Musk. We need to be paying particular attention to Neuralink. This thing is not going to go away. Artificial intelligence is not going to go away. So we're studying, we're looking at this interview with Joe Rogan and Tristan Harris. Why? Because there's an amazing admission made in that interview that humanity cannot govern itself and we need a solution we can't go the route of total freedom because that's ending up in chaos and blood in the streets we don't want to go down the road of chinese style 1984 authoritarianism so what is the solution well it all relates to incredibly enough an ancient text the bible Something that happened thousands of thousands of years ago speaks profoundly directly to these issues we're talking about. And I want to bring your attention to what I'm talking about in this particular passage, right? So open up 1 Samuel. It's way in the back. So this is an ancient, this is King David territory. 1 Samuel chapter 8. It's a story of the prophet Samuel, right? So the Israelites are coming out of the period of the judges, and actually I think Samuel was a prophet slash judge that was, you know, a judge was basically God's right-hand guy. God's leading the show. The judge is implementing what God wants to do. 
Samuel is in this position, but there's a transfer of power. Samuel's getting old now, and he's going to pass away. So he's handing off his authority and his, his role to his sons. But there's a problem. His sons aren't like Samuel. Samuel's sons are taking bribes. Samuel's sons are perverting justice. And the Israelites cannot govern themselves. So here, listen to the scenario play out, right? It's, it's very, it's strikingly similar to the conversation Joe Rogan and Tristan Harris is having. They're talking about a group of people that cannot govern themselves and are looking for some sort of external authority. So it's 1 Samuel chapter 8. Verse 1, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, or Joel, say Joel. The name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in Samuel's ways. They turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. So the Israelites go like, we, we can't take this, your sons ruling, doing what they're doing anymore. They're perverting justice. They're taking bribes. It's ridiculous. We can't govern ourselves. We need a king. So they, they, they get Samuel and they tell Samuel, we need a king. Just like all the other nations have, we... The nations have figured this thing out. We see how they're doing it. We want to do it just like them. Verse 6, the thing that they brought up displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they're also doing this to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel gets the news from the Israelites. Like he goes, they have the big meeting. All the Israelites are, hey, you're Samuel, your sons are not like you. They're perverting justice. We want a king like all the other nations. Samuel, here's it. his heart sinks. Like, what? The, the Lord is our king. We get our directions from him. Like, why would you guys want any other king but the Lord? And the Israelites' answer is firm. We want a king. So this bothers Samuel. Samuel is troubled by the, the meeting he has with the Israelites. So he goes to God and says, God, can you believe this? They don't want me. And so Samuel basically takes it personally. Like, what do you, what do you mean? I was doing a good job. I, this was, I was having this thing off to my sons. It seemed like everything was going in a good direction. The Israelites say, no, this is not, we don't want it. Samuel takes it personally. Like I, like these guys don't want me 
But the Lord says, no, Samuel, it's not that they don't want you. It's that they don't want me. They don't want their creator to be their king. They want something, someone else. They want to turn their backs to me, and they want to welcome in an authority, an external authority that's not from me, that's just like the world. They want to follow the course of the world. They want to break off relationship with me, and they are rejecting me as their king, Samuel. You shouldn't be taking this personally, God says. God says, I'm taking it personally. Because it's not directed at you, it's directed at me. So verse 10, Samuel tells all the words of the Lord to the people who are asking for a king. He said, and so Samuel comes back out and says, okay, here's the deal, guys. If you really, 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 really want to reject the Lord as being the king over you, if you really want an external authority to come and you need to understand what you're asking, and I'm going to lay it out to you in very clear terms because this will be your reality moving forward. Samuel goes to the Israelites. He says this to them. He says, these will be the ways the king who rules over you These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, to his horsemen, to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, some to plow ground, to reap his harvest, to make implements of war, equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, vineyards, olive orchards, orchards, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers, to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants, the best of your young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks, and you will be his slaves. So Samuel breaks it out, one item at a time. Basically like, Guys, look, you can reject God and you can look for a a different source of authority to rule over you, but there will be consequences because here's the deal. Any other authority, any other king is going to be unlike God. Any other king is going to use you as an extension of, of him. He's going to use you. He's going to claim everything that you own as his own, and you will become an extension of his kingdom. Once you install a king over your life, that king is in charge. He will take you, your property, your work, your family, and claim all of these things as his own. And he will use you, your family, your property, your occupation, 
the fruits of your labor. He will claim all those. He will extend himself through. You will be an extension of a king. Samuel wants to make sure that the Israelites know with certainty what they're asking. What they're asking is for God to not be their king anymore. They want a different external authority that will govern them, that will make an extension of them for their own purpose and will. That is a serious transaction. But this is the very question that Tristan Harris is asking. This is the very question that Joe Rogan is posing. Is we need an external authority that's not God. At the very core of that conversation is 1 Samuel chapter 8. A people who have decided they cannot govern themselves. They want an external authority. They don't know what it looks like, but they want to be governed. And God says to them, he says to the Israelites, and he says to us in our modern day world, he says, you can look for another king. You can want to be ruled by an external authority. But you need to understand that when you decide to do that, you will become an you will become an extension of that authority. So if you decide to make artificial intelligence the external authority over your life, you need to understand you will become an extension of artificial intelligence just as the Israelites became an extension of King Saul. It's the very same scenario. A group of people decide they cannot govern themselves. They need an external authority. They reject God. They turn their back on their creator in favor of a godless authority. And then they become an extension of that godless authority. That's what's happening in 1 Samuel chapter 8. That's what's happening in 2021, America. Those are the conversations that are being had. You wouldn't know it by what's going on in the church. So what is God's response? Verse 18. What happens? Like, so what, you know, so what if we turn our backs to God. So what if we want a different external authority to rule over us? So what big deal? Like surely it'll work out, right? Surely it'll be fine. I mean, we got this God. We don't really need you. We can find our own way. Verse 18. And in that day, you will cry out because of your King whom you have chosen for yourselves but the Lord will not answer you in that day. That is a huge statement. In that day, you will cry out 
because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you. The Lord says, you want this? You want a different king? You don't want me? You want to turn your back on me and find a different authority to make you an extension of his kingdom? You want to make artificial intelligence the thing that governs over you? You want to become an extension of technology? God says, you will cry out because of your king. The thing that's ruling over you, the thing that's extending itself through you, you're breaking under its weight. God says, you will cry out. You will cry to him. And what's the Lord's answer? The Lord's answer is, I'm not going to answer you. We need to understand the conversation that's being had. We need to understand the decisions that our society writ large is making in our days. And we need to register our voice and our biblical opinion and God's perspective to the question of how do we get through what is the middle way between 1984 and the brave new world? This false dichotomy of we need potentially super intelligence, democratized super intelligence as this third way through. And we say, no, we need obedience to God. We need the Holy Spirit directing our lives. We need to build our lives on the word of God. You and the world can go whichever way you want. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will go in an entirely different direction. And you will see the salvation of God in the lives of those who trust in him. And you will see the devastation of a, the rebellion, the final rebellion that the Apostle Paul talks about. You will see the fruits of the rebellion. You will cry out in that day because of the king that you have chosen, because of the authority that you have chosen for yourselves. That as you're breaking under the weight of the authority structure you have chosen, this godless artificial intelligence, and you're crying out under its weight, there will be no answer. Verse 19, does that change? Does that change anything? Noah was preaching to the world before the flood. He was laying it out in the clearest possible terms, what was at stake? It didn't add a single soul to the ark. But God will still raise up the voices, the testimony of the saints. Even if the testimony of the saints fall on deaf ears, even if it's met with the blind, blindness and deafness, God will still raise up a voice to warn. And that's what he's doing here with Samuel. He's basically saying, Samuel, they're not going to listen to you. You're going to warn them. They're going to do it anyway. This is not the first time this has happened. Humanity is actually expert at being warned by God and completely ignoring it. For whatever reason, there might be a different reason every time they do it, doesn't matter. 
the result is the same. They're going to ignore you, Samuel, but you will warn them nonetheless. Verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No! Exclamation point. There shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Interesting. That's the... That's the response. Like, Samuel, we've heard your warning. Yeah, we've heard that. Yes, we're rejecting God. Yes, we know that the king that we choose is going to break us down and we're going to cry out under the, the yoke of his oppression. But we want it nonetheless. Give it to us. Why? Because he's going to give us what we, he's going to go out and fight our battles for us. Yeah, he might fight a few battles for you. But those battles will come at a cost. When Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice. Make them a king. So Samuel goes back to God. He's like, God, I warned them. I told them if they turn their back on you and choose a different king, they would cry out that that king would betray them that that king would use them as an extension of himself and his own kingdom. And that they would cry out, and when they do, you would not hear. But they still persisted in what they wanted. They wanted a king so that they could be all like the rest of the nation, so they could follow the course of this world, so that that king would go out and fight their battles for them. Interesting when you think about that in terms of superintelligence, AI a warlike AI that go, actually goes out and makes war because that's that's part of the beast, right? That's part of Revelation 13, a, a warlike entity that's going out to subdue the earth and make war on the nations. That that's what, in the Israelites' mind, was first and foremost and what they wanted that king to do is go out and fight their battles and suppress, subjugate, bring the world under their control. Same scenario, now that you think about it. It's, it's fascinating. But God says to Samuel, listen to what they want. I'm going to give them exactly what they want. I'm going to give them a king after their own hearts. And they will cry out. And when they do, I'm not going to hear it. Now, it's interesting because King David then comes after King Saul. I'm just, I mean, this is coming to me as I'm, as, as I'm reading and thinking about it. But think about this. Think about this scenario that we face right now, historically, where we are in this moment. We're in a moment where social media has torn our social fabric to shreds. We can't even look at each other without hating each other fiercely. We're killing each other in the streets because of what we're reading online. Most of it's from a troll farm from Eastern Europe, which is basically a Russian operation. We're out and we're, we're crying out saying, this is not working. We can't govern ourselves anymore. We have given up on the Christian ethic. We're basically unable to govern ourselves anymore. And now we're, we're asking like, well, we can't keep going down this road where we're just reading things online and killing each other on the streets. But we also don't want the Chinese style 1984 authoritarianism. What is this? We want a king so that we can, you know, that'll go fight, subdue the, and make the world the way we want it to be. So God gives them Saul, King Saul, a godless king. But then right after King Saul, 
comes King David. The promise of God. So even in this scenario, let's just say for a second that I'm onto something, that I'm actually like tapping into some crazy God reality that we are in a 1 Samuel chapter 8 moment right now where we're looking for a king the exact same way the Israelites were looking for a king. God gives us a king after our own heart, which is basically an oppressive evil entity that uses us as an extension of its will. But then God sends in his David. Jesus comes in to rule and to reign as the promised kingdom and answers. The true answer is God is our king. It's interesting. I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking through the possible parallels of the kingdom of Saul being this like antichrist empire that precedes King David, Jesus, and his eternal kingdom that reigns forever. So we need to be looking to God as our king. What's the solution? What's the solution to this big mess? What's the solution to 1 Samuel chapter 8? When everyone around us is clamoring for an authority to make the world the way we want it. When God is basically going to give us the thing our heart is clamoring for. But it's going to be a King Saul reality that we will that will make us an extension of it. And it's selfish, self-centered, godless objectives. What do we do in the meantime? When we're living through this reality, we're looking to God. We're saying, God, you're a king. We're, we're, we're positioning our hearts and minds like Samuel. Like, God, these guys are doing something crazy. We don't want any part of it. We just want to find our refuge in you. God says, I have a way forward for you. And he's going to raise us up as a testimony of what it looks like to trust him even as there's a breakaway rebellion where all of, basically, the majority of humanity is chasing an empty dream, an empty promise, a strong delusion. God will raise up his people, his church, to be a testimony to them, saying, you should not go that direction. You should trust in the Lord. You should look to him to be your king. God's name is on the line. Samuel was that testimony. He was that testimony to King Saul. He was that testimony to the, the Israelite people. And God will use us as that very same testimony if we will trust in him. Well, I guess that kind of sums it up for today. I hope today's podcast was a blessing. To you, I hope you enjoy listening to me going off. But I do appreciate you listening. I do appreciate your partnership. I appreciate your hunger for God. 
go on over to BabylonSingularity.com, sign up to get the newsletter, subscribe to this podcast. We need to get some momentum on the church here. We need to get some people who are like fired up for Jesus and want to see this, this thing all the way through to the end. So keep watching, praying, proclaiming. That concludes this episode of the Babylon Singularity Podcast. We hope this podcast was a blessing to you. This podcast is listener supported. Prayerfully consider visiting BabylonSingularity.com to support this effort. What we do, we do together. We appreciate every way you support this ministry. Please click on the subscribe button and leave us a review. Thank you for listening and we sincerely hope you join us next time on the Babylon Singularity Podcast. Babylon Singularity is a gospel ministry of Harvest Winds.